0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times.
1: As the curtain comes down on an incredible year for Singapore sports in 2023, we at The Straits Times are already excited for what's to come in the year ahead. Hi, I'm Deepan Raj Ganesan and this is The Hard Tackle. On this episode, my colleagues at the sports desk, Kimberly Quek, Rohit Prishnath, David Lee and Melvin Thio join me as we bid farewell to 2023, reflect on the triumphs, Peer into the future and explore what's in store for Singapore sports in the upcoming year. Hi Rohit, David, Kimberly, and Melvin. We are down to the last stretch of 2023 just like that and we'll be looking forward to a whole lot in this episode but I think we've got to do the year a justice. In my previous episode, I spoke to Maximilian Maeder who told me that his favourite moment of 2023 was Ryan Lowe winning the Asian Games Gold Medal. I'm sure you guys have your own individual moments of 2023 uh, that you got to witness that was your favourite. So David, I'll start with you. What was your favourite local sporting moment of 2023?
2: Right. Hi, Deepan. Hi, guys. Uh, for me, it's got to be Isaac Quack's exploits at the Singapore Smash in March. He was just 16 then, you know, and managed to beat India's Commonwealth Games champion Sharath Kamal Achanta. And then he went on to beat Sweden's former World Championship runner, Matthias Falk. There's just something special about being able to watch a young local talent develop and then blossom on the international stage. And Isaac showed great composure to come back from two games down to beat Felt. After that, he would also become the youngest Sea Games men's singles champion and the first local-born male player to break into the top 60 of the world ranking. So that was a... Pretty good moment for me to witness.
1: Alright, a wonderful moment for Isaac uh, in 2023. Rohit, what about you? What was your favourite local sporting moment?
3: My moment actually came in a defeat. It's a bit of a long story, but let me do quick justice to it. It's actually Letitia Sim coming fourth in the breaststroke at the Asian Games. So I had a day when the Games were sort of over and I spoke to her later and she was pretty emotional and... She was talking about how upset she was when she lost. And sometimes these are things you don't see about athletes. You see victory. You don't see what happens to them when they lose. And how she cried and, you know, she her body was shaking so hard she couldn't produce any more tears. And she came forth. And when the victory ceremony was on, she couldn't even look at the victory ceremony. And then, of course, in the next day, she came forth again. But I thought, you know, she spoke about it with such... Uh, Courage, I thought, you know, but very clearly, you know, that this really hurt her. And, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, she just smashed the national record in in a couple of breaststroke races, you know, showing that she was motivated by it. And I just like the way that she managed it. And, you know, it, it's it's something to see an athlete really get beaten and then be honest about it and speak about it and then come back and show that she has learned from it and is even better. So that for me was, a, I think, the most uh, moving moment of the year. I think for me,
0: it might be the Lion City Cup. It hasn't been around for the last, what, six, seven years. And now that it's back, you know, we see footballers of the, the younger levels. And, you know, I've seen the training for Singapore football. I've seen what they did this year. And even though they did lose to BG Patham in the final on penalties, we saw promising stuff from them. So... I think, you know, with players like Nathan Mao and Yuchenna Ezekiel coming up, I think the future is bright for Singapore football.
1: Alright, Uh future being bright for Singapore football is not perhaps something everybody would agree on, uh, but interesting moment to pick out from 2023. Uh, Kimberly, what about you? What stood out for you?
4: I think for me, it has to be watching Shanti get breakthroughs at the Asian level. You know, first at the Asian champs and then at the Asian games. Being on the ground was quite an amazing feeling and I think you could see how much it meant to her and I I don't I don't think I can find the words to truly describe you know what it is actually to to, to watch her achieve what she did live I think it's special because you know the journey that she has been through to get to where she is and something that you've reported on so yeah that was something that was really nice to see
1: all right four very different moments from all of you uh, Rohit, I want to ask the the next question to you. You talk about Shanti and I've mentioned Maximilian Mader a few times. Uh, just these two alone and of course, a couple of other achievements as well by our Singaporean athletes in the year. Do you see 2023 as a year where it's been a catalyst for Singapore sports, where this these personal achievements has allowed Singapore sports to be on the Asian level or perhaps the world level?
3: So I, I don't know yet. If we can say that it's a catalyst or what influence it has, because we'll have to see what happens over the next couple of years. But I feel these are moments which should be a catalyst. And, you know, there are things that younger athletes should ride on, you know, because, I mean, Max, you know, he's such a poised, strong, he's a really strong uh, 17-year-old. And, you know, to do so well on the world stage and, you know, there's always a tension when you're taking on the best in the world. And he seems to manage that really well. And then Shanti, of course, I think showing, I don't think there's anybody in Singapore except her and a coach and maybe a family who thought she could win the 200 meters gold. And uh, and I think, you know, if we don't take something from this, then we are missing a great opportunity because, you know, there's a great belief to be taken from this, that we can do things, even athletic things. And remember, both these sports require a great deal of strength and athleticism, which is not something we always say that we're capable of.
1: Yes. Uh, David, you, you've been in the scene for several years now reporting on various achievements in Singapore's sport. Do you see 2023 as being a, a massive year in terms of what it produced for Singapore sport?
2: Yeah, I, I think so for sure. This was the first full year of sports post-COVID-19 and a fantastically busy year for local sports. Uh, there were hits and misses, but in many areas, our athletes broke new ground. If I'm not wrong, we had World champions from five sports, you know, sailing, bowling, wushu, powerlifting, English billiards. And if I'm not wrong, again, this is the biggest spread of world champions we have had in a single year. You know, so hopefully this serves to inspire youngsters to emulate role models. You know, Rohit talked about Max, but there's also Daphne, Sherry, Darren, Joan, Fahana, and Peter Gilchrist. Encouragingly, this is a racially diverse list and also from a wide age range. You talk about catalysts or significant year. On the not so good side, may I bring up something which is it is a bit worrying to see differences then on the international stage affect our international participation, for example, in Q sports, in basketball, sepak takraw. Hopefully, yeah, these things can be resolved favorably in 2024 for the good of our athletes.
1: All right, David, I refer to you as someone who's been in the scene for many years. Uh, moving on to Melvin, you are the newest addition to the Straight Times sports desk. Uh, you joined
0: us earlier this
1: year. I'm keen to know what was the most interesting interview you had this year? You know, Who did you speak to that had a lasting impact on you?
0: I think this year, I've spoken to actually quite a few. And although a lot of them have been athletes, the one that really stood out to me was speaking to a PE teacher. I think you know, she told me so much about how she was trying to cultivate youth. She was trying to inspire the youth. And especially there was one student in her class who was physically disabled. So she was trying to put her, you know, be inclusive in her class. So I think with, you know, mentors like that, in and around young athletes, it helps a lot for the growth, especially for the growth of sports in Singapore. So I think that was the one that stood out for me.
1: Okay, fantastic. What is this BDG's name?
0: Her name is Cassandra Sia. Okay,
1: Uh, Melvin has talked about his most interesting interview. Just keen to find out if anyone else had any other interviews. I mean, you mentioned Letitia quite early on. Any other interviews that stood out this year that you really remember?
3: Well, I spent uh, a lot of time with Luis Cunha because of the project that we did, interactive project we did uh, with Chanti. And, you know, we tend to talk a lot about athletes as we must because they're always center stage. But it was really nice to spend time with a coach. And I spent a lot of time with him to see how detailed they are and how much homework goes into, you know, making an athlete better. And I was really, really impressed with him. And, you know, just the technique, the amount of, you know, the timings, how he looks at stuff, you know, a very scientific mind that he has that he brings. And I think basically I'm using this as an opportunity to basically credit all the coaches who we don't talk about so much, but who do such wonderful work, you know, behind the scenes for athletes.
1: Uh, Any other interviews that you guys remember that you want to talk about, David, Kim?
2: Yeah, for me, it was an interview I did with the family of the late Tan Eng Yoon. So this was part of our feature for our 1000th goal that Singapore was about to win at the SEA Games. It's fascinating to speak to the family and, you know, even his friends like Mr. Kunalan who talked about the good old days, their dedication to their craft and all that. And it's interesting because... Our president, Diamond also mentioned this in a recent event that while things improve sports science facilities, we should also look to the past for inspiration in terms of their grit and resilience. So uh, that was a memorable interview for me, even though not with the OG himself who has passed, but with his family and friends.
1: Okay. We have talked a lot about 2023. I think we've done some justice to, to the action that we had uh, in 2023, but let's you know, look ahead now. And of course, Olympics will be a, a very big thing in 2024. Let's touch on a few athletes who will be representing us in that event. First and foremost, Maximilian a Early days, but can he do it? Am I putting too much pressure on him? Can he become Singapore's second gold medalist, Kim and Rohit?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think Max is definitely a gold medal prospect. You know, you've seen what dominant season he's had. He's won... A lot of the regattas that he's taken part in this year, you know, you have your world championships, you have Asian games, you know, he's winning at every level. So I think it's just about maintaining that in going into o- the Olympics. And But he's always very careful to say that, you know, there are a lot of factors that come into play. Like, I think recently, there was an event where he hit a plastic bag on the water and then that caused him to finish second. So, you know, he's talking about, you know, there are a lot of external factors, but I think barring all this, he has what it takes to get the gold medal.
1: Okay, Rohit, I mean, for me, the obvious question is that plenty of Singaporeans will be expecting something from him because they've seen that this guy can win at the World Championships. They see how dominant he is at the Asian Games. Should we be putting less pressure on him or... Is this a case of Singaporeans, you know, realizing that this is a guy who has won a world championship, so he should win an Olympic gold medal?
3: I think anybody who's going to the Olympics who is, you know, has a chance for a medal has to wear some level of pressure. That's just the way it is in sports. You just got to wear that pressure. The thing is for us to understand while we put pressure, while we have expectation of athletes, we have to understand that anything's possible. I mean, Michael Phelps loses races, I mean, to Joseph schooling. So, you know, anything is possible. I think we have to remember that. But what I like about him, are a couple of things. He has a very nice, quiet confidence about him. That's a very nice thing. You have to have poise if you want to be a champion. You cannot be some reluctant type of athlete. And he's not that. And he's only 17. The other thing is, I think when he was talking to Kim the other day or something, that I could sense that he likes data. He looks at his races very carefully and he has a good memory of his races. And he also looks like a guy who trains extremely hard. And that's really one for you. What you want from your athletes? Nobody can guarantee a medal. What you want to know is: Is this guy training really hard? Is he trying to be better all the time? And that's what he is. And I, I can't ask more from an athlete from Singapore.
1: Uh, a few days back, you wrote this piece on how Singaporeans should try to learn more about the the sport which Max Meda is involved in. It's a very valid thing to consider that this is a guy who's going to be one of the favorites at, at the Olympics. You know, and you've wrote about that. What more can Singaporeans do to? you know, try and follow his journey, do you think?
3: Generally, I think maybe we're going to dis- discuss this later in the conversation. We're talk- going to talk about sports culture, you know, in Singapore. We're not a country which has too many champions. So I think people who, if there are some people who don't know much about badminton because of, look, and you, they're they're going to be intrigued. What is, you know, how, you know, tactics and things like that. You learn because the more you learn about a sport, the more you enjoy it. So I feel all of us, I don't know too much about kite flying. Uh, Kim is the only expert we have. And uh, so basically, I have to learn as well, you know, the competitors and the rules and whatnot. But that makes it interesting because we all like to say we're sports fans. But a sport fan is not just, you know, sitting down in the evening eating chips and watching Liverpool, right? It's also watching all these other sports and learning about them. Can be floorball, can be anything. And yeah, I hope people do that because... There's no point in saying, oh, he came 7th or 8th or he came 1st. We need to get to a level where you can tell why he came 7th or why he came 8th. And when you understand it, I think it just enhances appreciation.
1: Perfect. From Max Mader, we'll move on to Loken Yu, who is also a former world champion. David, what does 2024 hold for Loken Yu? You know, would you say that 2023 was largely forgettable?
2: I think it would be a wrong mentality to have to think that it is forgettable because surely there are lessons to be learned even from an underwhelming season by his standards. You know, there, there were close to 40 events on the World Tour this year and almost 30 different men's singles champions. This shows you how competitive the circuit is. And he made the finals of the Asia Championships and the Korea Open. So it's definitely not a write-off for him. I think context is very important. We need to remember in his entire career, he won only two World Tour titles before he became World Champion. Once in 2019, once in 2021. In the two years since he became world champion, two finals on the world tour, two more at the SEA Games and Asian Championships. He's still putting himself in a position to win. I think Rohit touched on the point, you know, because of Ken Yu, maybe those who don't know badminton have come to follow and learn more about the sport. But also, maybe more people think that they are experts at badminton. Maybe he should attack more. Maybe he should change coach. How many of these people... Are unbeaten even in their social games? None, right? So understandably though, expectations are high for a former world champion, like Rohit says, you know, and the treasure that comes with it. But we might have forgotten where we were. Before Kenyu, our best player was two-time Olympian Derek Wong. Fine player in his own right, highest ranking, 37. Ken Yu is still in the top 10, his highest is third. You know, back to Kenyu, 2024, of course, we know it's a big year. He knows it as well. Is what he has been working so hard for. Yes, a fresh start, but he should also have taken on board what uh, he learned from the past years, what worked, what didn't, how to eat, train, rest, compete better. A realistic target for the Olympics, I feel, would be to maintain a high enough ranking to get a good seeding, make it out of a group stage in Paris. From then on, you know, anything can happen in the knockout rounds and it's not beyond him to go far.
1: You talked about Loken News 2023 and, you know, you mentioned all the various finishes that he had. But from your sensing, you know, speaking to him, do you feel that he is still someone who has the hunger to get to the top again? I mean, he won the World Championships and, and a lot of people, and rightly so, you know, they have mentioned that a change of coach is perhaps what's needed. You know, are these things that he's grappling with, you know, has he been? Has he talked about it? Has he discussed it? Or what? What's your sensing?
2: I, I think it's definitely not easy. I, I think we have been in sports for some time and, and things rile us. And what more, uh, an athlete where the whole nation is talking about him? Uh, I think it's impossible in this day and age to avoid such comments. Uh, does it get to him? Uh, I, I think for sure. But is he hungry? I think definitely yes as well. The Olympics is the pinnacle. Yes, World Championships is big, but the Olympics is the bigger tournament. It's what, like I said, what he's been working for, what he's been eyeing. QB, what, 27, 28. It's. Probably his last chance to have a realistic shot at winning a medal, which he wants very badly. So, I think hunger is not in question. It's just a matter of applying himself and how he performs and feels
3: on the day of competition. Yeah, I just want to add one thing. You know, I I just want to tell a very quick little story. When Manny Pacquiao, the, the Filipino boxer, fought Floyd Mayweather, right? I actually went to Manila to watch the fight. And so I was watching it in a square with local people, plumbers and housewives and whatnot were watching it on a TV on a big truck. Anyway, Manny didn't actually fight well and he lost. But what I really liked was the way all the Filipinos responded to that loss. They still loved him. It didn't matter. And the point that I want to make is I get people asking me all the time, what's wrong with uh, Loken What's wrong with him? Hey, he's losing. It happens, you know, people have bad times. And I think one of the things we've got to do again, as we build a sporting culture, is you got to support your athletes, you know. You can ask, you can question, that's fine. But you've got to support this guy because he's a great champion. He's done wonderful things. He's a very nice guy and we should support him.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And and it's uh, Singaporeans are a fickle bunch. I mean, myself included, when I follow other sports, yeah, maybe I feel this way as well. But, you know, Singaporeans are quite hard to please. You know, sometimes they take issue with Can with You being all smiley after losing a match. And then, at the same time, they criticise him for looking sluggish on court. So so what is it? Do you, do you want him to look down or do you want him to look happy? You can't win, right? So do we support him only when he's winning? Like uh, Rohit said, the sporting culture that we want to build is on that level where, you know, even in losing, we can get behind our heroes like the Filipinos do for many. Pakayo.
1: For sure, we have plenty to work on when it comes to culture. And like Rohit mentioned, it's something we'll touch on a bit later. Moving on from Lokenu to Shanti Pereira. Kim, what is the target for Shanti? You know, what would success mean? I mean, we've seen that she did well at the World Athletics Championships where there was a breakthrough for her in that regard. But what about the Olympics? You know, can we expect similar from the World Athletics Championships?
4: I think we have to understand that on the world stage, it's a completely different level. And I think that could be seen at this year's World Championships as well. You know, where Shanti did have a breakthrough in terms of getting a new national record and qualifying directly for the Olympics. But I think realistically, we should not be looking at, you know, maybe medals that you have to understand the level... The world level is world level. different. Yeah. Mm. So I think maybe success for her would be trying to break her personal records. And I think she has set for herself some targets getting below... Well, I think it's some
3: <laughs> pretty tough targets she set for herself. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode.
1: And now back to my conversation with Rohit, David, Kimberly and Melvin. So I I mean for, for me I think I look at a lot of what Singaporeans are saying is they they celebrate her success in twenty twenty three and they they will look forward to to even more successes in twenty twenty four. But it's not a year where you have your your sea games where you know you would you would see a very creditable gold medal to show for. Where something like the Olympics, most likely could be you know Shanti does not make the final or perhaps Shanti does not make the semi final. How do Singaporeans look at it then? You know what? How can they define what Shanti does in twenty twenty four?
3: So I I think that that's a really good question because I think success we have to. Understand the idea of success is not just one, two, three on the podium, right? There are many measures of success. I mean, as Kim rightly said, I mean the level, you know, at world level sprinting is you know is totally different. Personally, what do I look for from Shanti? I say, okay, the faster you go, the harder it is to become faster. Means it's to take away small bits of a second. It becomes you know much harder. How much technique can you change? How much stronger can you get? So I think they know they've got this challenge. So I feel if she improves her timing, that's a success. If she runs a really good race during the Olympics, that's a success That because that means with all the pressure you're running your best race. If she gets into the semifinals, that's amazing because if you're one of the top 20 sprinters in the world, a Singaporean, I mean, that's astonishing. So that's success. So I think that In different sports, we've got to have different measures of success.
1: Okay, Uh, moving on to our swimmers. Uh, At the Asian Games, Tiong was able to, he was the only one who was able to get a medal for Singapore in the pool. But who is our biggest hopeful for Singapore in the pool? Is it Tiong or, or are there other swimmers that we have got to look at when it comes to the Olympics?
2: Yeah, I think what Rohit said for Shanti applies to the swimmers as well. Are we expected to win a medal? I don't think so. And this is based on what we did at the Asian Games. Can we make a final? I think it's possible with the likes of Kyong, John, Letitia. They have the potential to, to go fast on any given day and to make a semi-final and a final. And with Cheng as well, if he qualifies. So I think that's where we are at at the moment. A medal probably would be a bridge too far.
1: Do you think then in 2024 is more a year where we start to look at the new guys and new girls in, in, in the swimming fraternity in Singapore? Because a lot of the the athletes that you've mentioned earlier, like including Letitia and and the rest, they are quite young. So is 2024 the year where we see a new face in Singapore swimming?
2: Yeah, for sure. I I think we can't just look at what's in front of us, which is the Paris Olympics. We have to look further, which means the 2028 Los Angeles Olympics. And in that sense, we do have the youngsters who are coming up. I think uh, I'll be quite excited about the development of uh, Leticia's sister, Lavinia Sim, who has just joined the national team this year, as well as Nicholas Mahabir. Both are teenagers, precocious. Mahabir has been unlucky to be battling a virus that's kept him out of the Asian Games and the World Junior Championships. But I, I look to them for for strong performances from 2024.
1: Melvin, you've covered quite a fair few uh, Paralympic sports over the last few months. Give us a sense of what we can look out for when the Paralympics comes around in, in Paris.
0: Yeah, I think in terms of medal hopes, there are quite a few, especially in the pool. Obviously, the big names are, you know, Ping Xiu and uh, e- even for To Song, She, you know, Ipeng Siu has defended her title. But, you know, this year she missed out on the Asian Games. But that's only because her, ca- her events were cancelled. So I think, obviously, she will be working hard towards the Paralympics. And that's obviously, you know, her defending her titles. And you obviously have to take into account of what we have achieved at the Asian Games we have a few that have qualified you look at uh, shaida uh, alim she's qualified and she is the world champion in 2019 although she did quite poorly in the 2020 olympics and she we knew, we all know that she she's disappointed with herself and you know crashing out in the quarterfinals and i think she she will look to redeem herself so maybe we don't look, only look at the pool we can look at other sports that have qualified
1: uh we've talked about the olympics and the paralympics uh we have also got to talk about Singaporeans' favourite sport, which is football. David and Kim, could you give me a sense of where Singapore football is heading in 2024? Maybe starting off with Kim. I mean, look, the the recent results for our Lionesses haven't been great. I mean, 3-0 and 8-0 defeats to their opponents recently in in Bangladesh. I I think it's a concern for Singaporean football fans because for some period, they were looking at the women's team for some positivity and we got that at the SEA Games level. But what now for 2024? Where is the team heading? What can we look out for?
4: Yeah, so I think this year has been quite a happening year for the Lionesses. You know, they had the Olympic qualifiers, SEA Games, Asian Games. So next year will be relatively, there'll be fewer things for them next year. The main thing would be the AFF Championship. And like you rightly mentioned, you know, it has been a bit of a tough year. Some very heavy defeats, not just in the Bangladesh games, but at the Asian games, you know, they made their debut there, but it was not the best debut to make, losing 17-0 on aggregate to North Korea. But I think, you know, we have to take note that they're working with a young squad. I think now they're just trying to build that depth because a lot of players are out due to injury or can't make it because of personal commitments. So, I think maybe 2024 will be a year of rebuilding and just trying to beef up the squad. Okay. Uh,
1: David, what about the men's side? What can we look forward to with the men's national team and perhaps even the Singapore Premier League? Any updates you have for us?
2: Yeah, I think we can safely say 2023 was a year of disappointment. Uh, We started off with a 4-1 defeat by Malaysia and ended up with a 3-1 loss to Thailand. If you want to use the word forgettable, this, this, this is it. Looking forward, I think there's every chance we will get a new national coach. Hopefully, they will get the right candidate in. Of course, there's no guarantee. You know, it's a, it's a lottery at times. Uh, the national coach, who you're going to get, whether he can be the right candidate. And we haven't had one for a long time since rady left. Yeah, like the women's team, not much to... Look forward to, in terms of international competitions, we didn't qualify for the Asian Cup, but we will play in the AFF Championship. So that's at the end of the year. Hopefully the new coach gets enough time and we get high quality friendlies to prepare for this competition. Yeah, you mentioned the Singapore Premier League. There will be some changes to the scheduling. It should start in May in a transition to an autumn-autumn league calendar. And, you know, there are talks that there there will be a new team. So hopefully a new team brings about new excitement, new players, new ideas, new foreigners that can dazzle the fans. Yeah, we have hope. We always do. So, and, you know, we are talking about senior level here. They they are the face of Singapore football. But behind the scenes, you know, there the are things wheels in motion with the Unleash the Raw project. So hopefully... In the longer term, not just 2024, we can start seeing some bright sparks in youth football. And I know you are asking all the questions, but you know, let me turn it back to you. What, what do you look forward to in, in Singapore football in 2024?
1: Yeah, I, I think for me, the the biggest thing to look forward to would be the changes they, they would make in the league. Because I think the national team is only as strong as the, the league. Let's face it, the league hasn't been of... Of equality in the last few years and that's been been very disappointing for me as a local football fan. When we look at the national team, I think the obvious thing they can always talk about is changing of national coaches or changing of the technical director but I think a lot of the players and the coaches have to be responsible as well for the betterment of the league. So I, I say this because over the last few years, I've not seen you know coaches and, and players really take it upon themselves to show the best version of themselves, we see that very little in in terms of examples. So for example, our players, can we really say that we have two or three local players who have really improved themselves and are showing that in a national team? I don't think so. So for all the things that we talk about, coaching changes or changing of the precedent or or changing of this, that or the other, I think players and coaches have to look at themselves and say, you know what, the league is changing. They're trying to bring in more teams. They're trying to have this UTR. But what can we do as players and coaches to ensure that the quality improves? And that's something I hope changes in 2024. We really see our locals reach the fall. Uh, thanks for your question, David. <laughs> Moving on to bigger topics in Singapore sports. Kim, you, you wrote a column uh, recently about the lack of supporters uh, when it came to the Women's Floorball Championships. You know, what, what sparked that? You know, was it just seeing very few people in attendance in the arena? Or was it more uh, a build-up of things where you had attended other events in in Singapore over the last year and you and you thought, you know, I, I need to write about this. How, how did it come about?
4: It was mainly seeing the empty stands at the Women's Floorball World Championships. So I think ahead of the tournament, you know, we had expected it to be more well-received or more well-attended because floorball seems to be a sport that is coming up pretty quickly and, you know, we have a lot of players at the school level. So it was it was a bit of a surprise to see how empty the stands were. You know, it, it's great that we have the ambition to try and host all these events, but, you know, what good is having all these events down if we don't have people watching them? Because events like the World Championships can not only introduce the sport to a wider group of people but also inspire the existing community and if we are not capitalizing on that then i feel that it's quite a wasted opportunity and this obviously is indicative of like a, a wider issue which is you know the lack of a sporting culture in singapore like it's not a habit for people to go down and you know watch games on weekends or maybe support the local teams so yeah the, i i think you know just seeing that kind of um, inspired the the commentary.
1: All right, Melvin, I'm sure you know before you you came to the Straits Times, I, I'm sure you would have relatively followed the the local sporting scene. So, what was your expectations before uh, the tournament began, and and how did you feel when you entered the arena and you saw? So few people, you know, was it jarring for
0: you? I, I didn't really place much expectation on an event like this, but obviously floorball is growing and, and it, it has always been a growing sport in Singapore. And, you know, on ActiveSG, they said that there are over 15,000 people playing here. So for such a, you know, the pinnacle of the sport, the, a world-class tournament coming here and to see the stands being a third field or like half field, it, it was, I wouldn't say it was jarring, but it was... Not so nice to see. But I also would agree that it. what we've heard Kim said with the sporting culture, I think it's because there isn't like this culture for Singaporeans to come down on a weekend to watch the games. And to be fair to the organizers, the ticket prices, it wasn't too expensive. It was between $15 to $65. And just coming through the gates, paying these sort of prices to see top tier floorball, I think more Singaporeans should do that. But it's only because I feel it, it's the culture. The people who were there, I would agree that they they are massive floorball fans. Or even if they weren't floorball fans, they were they were giving their all. They were cheering the Singapore team on. I like to draw to the Singapore versus Germany game. It, although the, the stadium is like 1,500 capacity, but only 600 people were there. But these 600 people were so loud. It gave so much energy to the team. Even the German coach said that you know, his players were affected by it. They were nervous when they faced Singapore because of this crowd. Then again, back to the culture. Obviously, you have to develop this culture to get this sort of achievement, you know, or like um, effect.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I watch the the English Premier League quite regularly and, and you always see home matches. The, the home fans are a force to be reckoned with. You know, they sometimes push the team over the line. and I mean, Anfield is quite famous for that. And and you you wrote a piece quite early on in the year about how, you know, Singaporean fans should cheer better. I think this was at a low-can-you match, I believe, at the Singapore Open. If I'm not wrong, I read all your stories, but sometimes I do forget. Uh, you know, is this similar to what the point um, Melvin and Kim are making that we need to have a better culture? Or do you think these are two very different problems you're looking at?
3: No, no, I think, it, it, I think it's all linked. You know, I, I think it's been going on for a long time. I mean, yes, you know, going... Uh, when I lived in Australia, on the weekend, you'd see kids in team scarves with their fathers and mothers going to matches, whether they're netball or rugby or footy or whatever it was. But that's part of their culture. Ours is different. But you're trying to change it, right? And you're trying to have events, you know. And then eventually, uh, maybe organizers won't give us events if we don't attend. So, I feel, firstly, people must attend. Secondly, I feel, so what happened in the Loken New match was, who was he playing, David, who he lost to eventually? Opa. Yeah. So when he was, so there was actually a pretty decent crowd because badminton does draw a crowd and Kenyu, of course, will draw a crowd. But when he was losing, it was dead silence. And I was thinking this guy, his opponent is not feeling the home advantage that Kenyu has, you know, that people should have been yelling for. Kenyu, even when he was losing, you know, just chanting his name, saying something, some Singapore chant, whatever it was. But it wasn't, it was dead silence. And I thought, okay, this is not very good, you know. I was actually getting very emotional. I wanted to leap up and shout, which I can't do in the press box. But I feel we've got to we've got to just be a little bit more enthusiastic about sport in this country. You know, we built this beautiful, absolutely brilliant sports hub. You know, I mean, we're very lucky as a country to have the stadiums we have and that place for everybody to play. But that's all stone. It's all human beings who give it life. And I and I hope more humans go there to play themselves. And to go and watch other Singaporeans play, it doesn't matter. See, even if you go for floorball, a sport you don't know, or you go for a lower level sport, it doesn't matter. Every sport is dramatic in its own. Every level is dramatic in its own. You have to get involved in that. You can't just go when, you know, Nadal comes or, you know, that level of player comes. You've got to go even for smaller sport because that's truly a love for sport.
1: I've got to be fair and I've got to mention that when Singapore played Thailand at the national stadium, we did see. Uh, a surprising level of support for the national team, and this is despite the fact that the the Lions have failed to to really show any form of joy for Singaporean fans. And I think there were almost thirty thousand fans in the National Stadium at the time. Of course, I think about thousand or two thousand Thai fans. David, from your experiences this year attending previous events in Singapore, do you get the same sensing that you know there needs to be better support for our local sports or local teams? I mean, I go to Singapore Premier League games, and I think with the exception of Lion City Sailors the matches are not well attended. But I think there's also a point to be made here that the Lion City sailors do lots of marketing and they do have lots of efforts on social media and, and maybe lower ticket prices for matches, or, but they bundle it together with the women's game. They provide transport to and fro. So I think these are all various things that clubs or, or NSAs can do. David, what about you? What, what's your feeling like attending all these events?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's chicken and egg, right? Like you mentioned, the sailors have done all these things. So what can organisers do to entice fans and to keep them coming. One of events like the Floorball World Championships wasn't very well attended. It was ticketed, wasn't very well attended. I covered the Asian Canoe Polo Championships at the Marina Bay Waterfront Promenade. It was a free for all. In the final day, there was more than 1,000 people. It was free. Uh, So, you know, there's disparity... Maybe it comes down to our consumption habits, you know, our attention span. We just do things that is convenient to us. And if today we feel like going to watch a football match, then we go. Today we pass by Marina Bay. There's a Canoe Polo Championships. Let's watch because it's free. So it comes down to, like you say, what effort and what marketing activities are done to engage fans and and keep them on. For a start, I don't know if it's feasible, but... Maybe for the more obscure sports and uh, events, maybe you can do it for free to attract people first before you think about charging them. Maybe uh, this is where corporate sponsors or the government can come in to to help defray the cost of organizing uh, such events. And then, you know, hire proper marketing people to package all your events and, and, and keep them on board.
1: Alright, uh, one last question uh, before I let you guys go is you know, we've talked so much about all these athletes like uh, Loken You, Shanti Pereira, who are going to be at the forefront of, of Singapore sports in 2024. But I'm looking forward to hearing from who you think is one athlete that you're going to look out for in 2024. That's besides these names I've already mentioned. Kim, I'll start with you. Who are you looking out for in 2024?
4: I think there are a lot of athletes to, to kind of look out for, especially with you know Paris coming up. But one athlete that I am excited to see is uh, this female footballer, Linda Casado. So she was at the Women's World Cup this year. She she performed really well. And I, I mean, she overcame cancer and she's just 18 and she just signed for Real Madrid. So I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting to see what she does.
1: Melvin, what about you? Who are you looking forward to watching?
0: I think for me, I mentioned his name earlier, but it has to be Nathan Mao. I, I, I mean, he's so young, but he's made his debut. He, I think... Everyone in around in and around Lion City Sailors know of him and his talent, and even though he's not going to the UTR, he is one to look out for.
3: Okay, Rui, what about you? So one person I'd be interested in seeing how she does is Amita Bhatia, the fencer. I think she's talented, uh, very aggressive, very ambitious fencer. But eventually, you know, you have to produce. That's what life is about. So I think it's a big year because it's Olympic year. She's very young. She probably has at least another Olympics as well. But we have to start with this one and I'd be interested to see how she does.
1: Okay, David, what about you?
2: Uh, to prove your point that Singaporeans' favourite sport is football, uh, my, my pick would be Iksan Fandi. He's had a horrible year with injury, with his knee injury and recovery. He's back on the pitch again, played for Singapore, played for his club, Biji Patum and scored and his team won. So for too long, we, we have lacked the striker and his absence showed us what we really miss. So... I'm really looking forward to him having a big year in terms of goals for his club and country.
1: Alright, if I may add on to, to what Kimberly said, she she talked about uh, a footballer. I think another footballer that we can possibly follow and and hope for the best is Danelle Tan. I think uh, she's been doing very well in, in Borussia Dortmund. Very good character. I think Roy, you've spoken to her before. I've spoken to her several times and she's really bright. I'm interested to know where her career goes on because I think the first year in Germany, she's done well. But what's next for her? Because I think Dortmund will probably get promoted. But, you know, does she get other suitors after that? You know, where does the career go from here? What does she do with the lionesses? I think that's something to really look forward to. And I'm sure there's so many other stories to, to unfold in 2024. Local athletes, young and old, to look forward to and, and witnessing their performance. And of course, the Olympics. Guys, thank you so much for joining me and uh, wishing you the best in 2024. Yeah, thank, you.
3: thank you. Cheers. Thank you.